0: Thanks. You guys can have a seat. I think last week was the first time we've ever canceled church. That's kind of interesting. Uh, missed y'all, missed being here. The reality is even if we didn't have the hurricane or if it went off, Cain was the first one to leave and he was supposed to preach last week. So we were canceling anyway. <laughs> it's like, so no. Um, we will be back in 1 Thessalonians next week uh, and William will be teaching the first part of chapter five. But um, it's not often that we have a, a just a hugely significant event like this where so many people are impacted, um, and, and it's an opportunity for us as Christians to think and to reflect um, about that. Uh, and one of the things we want to do as we talk talk about this constantly is we want to equip you to follow Christ. And so part of equipping is just teaching how do we handle stuff like this. What do we do? How do we filter this through the lens of Scripture? Because what we want to do is be able to see kind of big picture what this, how this fits so that we think and act and believe like Christians. And so we just want to take a few moments today uh, and talk about that. I'm not a sermon title guy. So if you go to our website, you're like, oh, what's the sermon series? What's the last week's sermon called? It was called 1 Thessalonians 4. That's, that's the creativity. All right, I didn't go to SCAD. All right, I went to uh, P Major Citadel, right? No creativity, right? But... If I was to have a creative name or a title this sermon today, I would call it the theology of a hurricane. Now, I know that some of you are like, theology and hurricane, they have nothing to do with each other. Well, I, I beg to differ because what it, can, a, can a hurricane teach us about ourselves? Can it teach us about God? Can it teach us about people? Can it teach us about the world? I would argue it does. And when I say the theology of a hurricane, don't get all scared. Oh, don't get all scared. Oh, this is going to be deep, deep. This is Bill. P, okay, it's not deep deep in me don't work. Just like tall in me don't work, okay? So but but what I want to do is I just want to reflect biblically on on Hurricane Matthew. So that you are equipped just to handle the hurricanes, so to speak, of life. Because there's more coming. It may not be wind, but there's other things. Um, and so and most of these thoughts, y'all, are just kind of this is my mind. And so if it's like that's weird, then that's that's your pastor, right? So but just some thoughts biblically. And as I've watched and as I've reflected and as I just thought about uh, this hurricane, and that's what we're going to talk about today, and what does the theology of a hurricane teach us, with the goal ultimately being worship. I mean, we've, we actually are going to extend, I'm trying to try to get this done quickly so we can kind of move to a time of worship again. We've actually added an extra song just so the people of God can worship together. And we're gonna sing songs about God's goodness and his faithfulness and his greatness. And that's what we wanted to do today. That was the biggest thing we wanted to do. So hopefully this will kind of feed our souls so that we can do that. So I got five things for you today. Five thoughts, five things the theology of a hurricane teaches us or is meant to teach us. And the first one, it's kind of obvious, but it's this. It's that creation is broken, right? Creation is broken. In case you were wondering, hurricanes were not part of the original deal. All right, Adam and Eve, we're not in the Garden of Eden thinking, okay, what's our hurricane evac route just in case, right? What if that tree falls on our hut? They were not worried about that. Trees, water, these things were not dangerous, right? And if you read Genesis 1, and we're not going to go through the whole thing, but Genesis 1, the third day, God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so God called the dry land earth and the waters were gathered together and called seas and he saw that it was good there was land there was sea they did not mix it was good Okay, there was no danger no storm surge the same day he makes the trees he says let there be trees yielding I me mean, plants vegetation all these things trees were not dangerous they were not flying through the, the windows and they were not falling on people it was good everything was created good not dangerous so what happened? Sin. So when Adam and Eve rebelled, sin infected everything. And the creation has now just been devastated by the effects of sin. So everything that, that is tainted. So all those things that you, you're, you're fearful of or that you hate. Mosquitoes, sand gnats, wind, storm surge. All these, these, these depressing, scary things. Sharks eating people right? Little furry animals getting eaten by bigger furry animals. All that is a result of the curse of sin because creation is broken and it wasn't the design. And, and it's interesting. We've been talking about the return of Christ the last couple of weeks because it's so fitting because not only does the church long for the return of our savior, you know who else longs for that is creation. In fact, Paul says in Romans, the creation waits with eager longing. When's it, When's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? To the revealing of the sons of God. Why? For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly. It's not that creation is bad in itself, but God cursed creation. Why? Because of sin. He, because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation will be set free. Creation longs to be set free. Creation longs to be released from bondage, the corruption, the corruption, Right, so, so that, that there is no more big furry animals eating little furry animals. So there is no more storms. Every volcano, every earthquake, every hurricane. It's as if creation is groaning like a, a woman in labor is what Paul says, for that to be over. Waiting for what? The return of its creator, Jesus. It's longing for it, right? It's longing to see. It says that the wolf and the lamb are gonna be buds, like the fox and the hound they're going to be chilling in the field running around hopping over things together it says that the baby is going to play with next to the cobra's nest so the baby's gonna have cobras crawling over and giggling and and no one's gonna be freaking out all the moms aren't gonna be freaking out they're gonna be like oh go play with your cobras right this is gonna happen it says that the lion is gonna eat straw not cows and so they're gonna be a, a lion and a cow at the same you know, hail, hail pile, hay pile just eating together and like, this is great hay. Yeah, this is perfect hay. It's in the kingdom. Yeah, isn't that great? That, that's what it's gonna be. No more storm surge. No more deductibles. No more chainsaws. Some of you are sad about that, I know. <laughs> uh, in, the, in, the, in the kingdom, you will be working, but there will be no insurance. If you're in the insurance business, you will have no job. You're gonna find a new career. There will be no insurance agents in the kingdom when Jesus returns. And Isaiah says after this passage about lion and lamb and all these things, it says, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. This is the future. This is what creation longs for. This is what the church longs for. Remember our fourth word? I taught it to you two weeks ago. It wasn't hallelujah, it wasn't salah, it wasn't amen. It was what? Anyone remember? Maranatha. Maranatha. Come Lord. That's what creation is crying. That is what we are crying. And so here's the, here's the little lesson. Since this place is broken, don't try to find heaven on earth because you won't. You won't because it, it's It's broken. And until the return of the Savior, ultimately it will stay that way. That's what a theology of a hurricane rem- reminds me that we await a Savior from heaven who will transform everything. First reminder. Here's the second one, and this is, this is huge that being part of the body matters. I don't even have time to go into all the stories I've heard of awesome things happen. I mean, we get, we've been getting emails and calls from community group leaders. Hey, this person in our community group lost a house. This is what's going on. We, they're staying with us. We've raised up money. We're doing this. I mean, it's been, it's just overwhelming. Hey, opening how? Hey, if anyone needs to stay at our house, we got folks from out of town coming into. I mean, it has been amazing to see the body come alive. I mean, I mean, I know that part of it is that some of the men just wanted to use chainsaws. I get that all right they're like come on i want to serve jesus okay, you know but but it's been unbelievable to see the church be the church i mean people living in other people's houses people staying and and and, and giving money and resources and sacrificing and feeding it's you know, we sent a blast email hey come feed the neighborhood children and help them do some crafts and stuff and like psh, all these people show up it's amazing that, that is exactly what the body is supposed to do. And I'm, I'm so proud of us as a church, not in a, in a sinful way, but just seeing so many of you just step up. call it. hey, where do I need to go? Anybody need anything? Anyone? And we had so many people calling that we were like, just, just go into your neighborhoods because no one's called us and told us any need. So just go, and so you have. And so half of you have been walking around your neighborhoods and cleaning up yards of people. In your, it, the body is being the body, Right? And some of you, you stayed behind. I'm not sure why. I think it's because you're rebellious because the government said to leave and so you said, I'm staying. (laughs) Whatever reason you have. It was pretty cool to find you five or six rebels driving around. Hey, where's your house? I got my chainsaw. I'm screaming Wolverine out the window at the cops. (laughs) And checking on houses. And we had guys, hey, where do you live? Oh, they just loved it. Just people serving the body. This is Acts 2. And it's, it's, it's made me proud of this church and make me love this church and see all you guys have done. But also, it reminds me of this. Some of us, and this is, this, is more, this is my heart, this is where I am at. Some of us are real good about helping others. You're like, I got my chainsaw, I got my this, I'm gonna cook a meal, but you're not real good about receiving it. And so some of you are a little bit proud, like you got seven trees in your yard. And your wife's like, when are you going to get the our trees? Well, I'm out serving people. And you've taken care of everyone else's yard, but you really haven't asked anybody to help you, right? And, and, and you need to understand that some of you, yes, it's great to help, but it's okay to ask for help too, right? It, it's, it's actually a good thing. Uh, and so don't be so proud that you're like, well, I don't need anybody, but I'll help everybody. And the body helps the body. And being part of the body matters and being connected to the church matters. And it's been an exciting thing to see. And... and The theology of a hurricane teaches me how important it is to be connected. And if you're not, I just encourage you somehow to get connected and we'll help you any way we can, but it's huge. It's it's the way it's supposed to work. Third thing, theology of a hurricane teaches me what really matters. The reality is this. Most of us did not get a U Haul and say, Man, we got to get the antique tables, man. Oh, honey, could you go get all the, the draperies and get all the uh, stuff out of the garage? And, and oh, don't forget my high school trophies. We got to put those in there. And not, not many people of you did that. What you did, you threw the dog in the car. You were tempted to leave the cat. <laughs> uh, you, you got a family photo album. Some of you men grabbed a firearm or two, and you jumped in the minivan, and you got out of Dodge, except for you a few people that were like, Wolverines, right, okay? But why did you do that? Because you intrinsically know what matters. People. Life, right? Life. And what a hurricane reminds me of is, is what Scripture teaches over and over. Stuff is great. Look, God has given us stuff. He's given us houses and cars. Some of you given boats. So you got cabins. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. It's fine. It's good. Good gifts God gives. But stuff goes away. And a hurricane reminds us. And, and sadly, some of us have lost stuff. And it's okay to, to be sad about that. And it's not, oh, you don't be so spiritual. Well, you know, I lost my house, but praise Jesus. I'm living in a tent out back. You don't have to be that way, okay? That's fake you can be upset that your house is this. But understand, all our stuff is going away. It is, right? And, and what really matters in the end is those people you're sitting next to right now. All right? put your arm around them. You can do that. This is church. I mean, it's hot. You're like, it's, I'm sweating. There you go. See, look at that. Love, love, right? Those people... You guys okay, enough of that loving. <laughs> the power's been on back on for a while, okay? Those people are what matter. And the reality is this there is 30 families in America that there's nobody to put an arm around right now. We have a family in Savannah in Isle of Hope. One family lost their father. Some of you know the couple. And there is thousand families in Haiti that they cannot put their arm around anybody. And so it, that puts things in perspective a little bit, right? It, it puts what Jesus taught over and over and over in the Gospels and what he modeled. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, the king of the world, king of the universe, when he comes to earth to teach and to model and ultimately to offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. But he, what is his model of just life? He owns nothing. Not that stuff is bad because he gives stuff. But isn't it interesting that he doesn't have a home, he doesn't have a bed, he doesn't have a, a camp, he doesn't have anything. Why? Because he's trying to model and teach what he constantly said in Matthew 6, right? That, that we are not to store up our treasure on, in, on earth. Why? Because moth and rust and hurricane and wind and all these things, get them. But lay up for your treasure, self's treasure in heaven where there's no hurricanes, where there's no wind damage, where there's no anything. Why? For your, where your treasure is, or your heart be also. Right, this is the S in our specs, the stewardship piece, right? Where we talk about stewarding your resources and gifts for eternity. And Jesus was teaching that what, what matters ultimately is people. I, I went up to Greenville this week where my parents are and where my grandparents used to live. And, and I was thinking about my dad's parents. When I was a young kid, they, it, they're, the, he, my grandfather was larger than life. Right? I go to their house. Their house seemed like the biggest house in the world. I go back now and it's like, oh, that's like 2200 square feet. But then it seemed so big. And this magnolia tree out front that I used to climb seemed so big. in their yard, which I used to play flashlight tag, seemed so big. And my grandfather, I thought he was the richest man in the world. He'd drive this big Lincoln Town car, always black. I'd sit on the little seat, the little armrest, because back then you didn't have to have seatbelts before the nation wanted to steal all our joy and make rules, right? <laughs> so I used to sit on the little armrest next to my grandfather and, we, and he would take the entire family out to dinner and it was, he had five kids and they had like a bunch of kids there'd be like 40 of us and we'd go to Morrison's Cafe and he, I thought he was so rich because he would pay for everybody right? he, pay, he had his own business he had this warehouse was shoes I could ride he had a uh, forklift I'd drive the forklift I mean he, it was just larger than life this man and I felt like man he can do everything he, he's so wealthy he could, he could buy South Carolina right <laughs> But I go up into Greenville this past week, and, and I saw probably six years ago now, my grandmother got Alzheimer's and she went home to be with the Lord, and three years later, my grandfather uh, he passed away and went to be with the Lord. But I went up and this week I went to the, the real quick, we were out at a restaurant. I said, I'm gonna go swing by the gravesite. And so I went by the gravesite. Here, here it is. This is all that is left of a man that I thought was larger than life. That magnolia tree I used to climb. Cut down. The house that he lived in for so long that my dad grew up in many, many years that that I did flashlight tag and slept in every room on the floor, somebody else owns it. Sold it. His business that he spent 50 plus years building, my uncle runs it. The, The lake house that was his is now all the uncles and the aunts. The big Lincoln is probably in some junkyard somewhere. The only thing that matters right now is where he put his faith, which he put his faith in Christ, him and my grandmother both. And then did he lay up treasure in heaven? Or did he eat here? All right. And, and what a theology of a hurricane reminds us is, what really matters? Because our days are like grass. We flourish in the field, and then, and then the f- falls off, the wind blows, and, it, and it's gone. And all, the only thing that matters now, y'all, is people. Ultimately, it's people who God loves, who he sent his son to save, who he's put in your life. And I was reminded this. I go to Publix the day we get back and power is finally on. And it is chaos. And I go to Publix about every other day or every day. And so everyone in there knows me. They think I work there. They gave me an apron last week. They're like, hey, you forgot your apron. <laughs> right. So, and there's this one sweet young girl and, and she, uh, she's probably 25, I don't even know. And she, I've invited her to church. She's like, oh, I go to church, honey. And she's like, she's got some church. And she lasts till three o'clock. I'm like, we're out by noon. You need to come to our church. <laughs> But she's there, and she's talking to the lady behind the counter, and they're talking about what happened with the hurricane, and so this one, she's saying, oh yeah, I went to you know, Warner Robbins or something, and, and the lady behind the counter, I just heard them talking, and she said, we went downtown, and, and there was no more buses out of town. And so, we had nowhere to go, so we just came back and rode it out. And I thought, I have no clue what that is even like. I mean, most of us, not everyone, but most of us, we had a grandmother. We had someone who had a cabin. We had, an, or we just went to some remote town in Georgia we never heard of and stayed at a Motel Six, whatever. But we all probably had access to a car or more than one. We got had access to food. You, you got all the water from the from the food line, and you threw it in your car and you ran out. And and it, the the idea that I don't have anywhere to go and where am I? Gonna, where am I going to sleep? And, and what if well, that doesn't even? That's not even in my mind. And what I realize is there's people that I pass every day who who have nothing. Right, And the theology of a hurricane reminds me is that my life is not about attaining the American dream and living some comfy existence. If God makes it comfortable, that is great. That is a blessing. But that is not the goal of life. There are people whom he loves all around us and this church has to be reminded to be engaged with those people. Otherwise, why are you sitting in a 98 degree room right now? It ain't worth it. All right, you can go in that video venue. The air was working over there. All right. Some of you're going to slip out the back now like you, you know. But that's what it reminds me that we're we're to be loving and reaching and caring for people. That's what theology of a hurricane teaches me. Two more things. Number 4. The theology of a hurricane gives me perspective on trials and suffering. What I learned about myself and I'm just going to open open up and you're going to be like you're going to probably fire me afterwards getting like that. Is a, he's a sinner. I've been telling you that for 10 years now, so. But what this teaches me is how fickle and how impatient I am when things don't go my way, right? That's what I've discovered about myself, not that my wife was like, I've been telling you that for 18 years. But I I, I saw it firsthand in myself because when we're we're gone and we went up to Greenville, we're stuck watching the, the Weather Channel and we're just praying that this thing moves east, right? Because they're talking, oh, the storm surge, you know, the surveillance is going to be underwater, you know, 18 feet, all these things. And I'm thinking, my house is at like 17 feet and I do not have flood insurance. So, I, I mean, I'm concerned. So I'm praying, Lord, move it out east. Move it out east. Like, send it to Wilmington. They always get hurricanes, right? You know? They're ready. You know. But I'm just praying. And finally, after the storm, we get the report and I go home and there's no water and I'm thankful, I'm so thankful. Right, but then it takes like six hours of being in the house, and I look out back and I'm like, man, you know, I had these Leland Cypress, twenty five foot Leland Cypress that kind of were the border between the house and behind me, and, and they're all down now, and I'm kind of I'm kind of bummed, and I'm starting to feel like, so man, I don't want to see my neighbor's garage. He don't want, and now I can't walk around with no shirt on in the house because he's gonna look in the back window. I told you. Yeah. I mean, six hours earlier, I'm just thankful I have a house. Now I'm concerned about a tree. And then four hours later, I'm thinking, man, when's power gonna come on? I'm bored. <laughs> thinking they make this on PBS Masterpiece. This seems great, all candles and stuff. It ain't great. Can't read with it. Thinking Masterpiece is lying. I mean, I'm so, it's 12 hours early. I'm thankful I have a house. I'm complaining. I mean, people three hours after the storm are calling us, or Georgia Power. When's the power coming back on? Are you kidding me? But that's, it's the nature of the impatience of the human heart, and our culture is so built on immediacy, it does not help anything. Everything's now. You don't have to wait for a pizza. Hot and now, hot and ready, right? You don't have to wait in line at Disney. You just have to buy the Fast Pass, Right? No lines, right? You don't, have to, you don't have to wonder, oh, wait, who starred in that movie? Oh, I can't remember. Who was the third baseman for the 1960? Oh, I, ooh, we'll have to wait till we remember. No, we just pull out phone. Siri, who played third base for 1969 Dodgers? That would be. Hey, we don't have to wait for anything. Remember growing up, for those of you who, before technology, you'd sit in the back of the station wagon, speed limit was 55, and you'd go on the road trip with your parents? And, and what'd you do? You looked out the window praying you didn't get sick. You played I Spy until you were like, I've seen everything. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's like, okay. I've seen America. I, I mean, I remember sitting in the back of my dad's station wagon just being tortured by ABBA's greatest hits. <laughs> and now I like it. It's just the weird thing about it, right? But now... It's it, 90 minutes into the trip, mom, my movie's over, I'm bored. Can we watch another movie? I mean, I just feel like, are you kidding me? You don't even know. But that's the culture. And it's moved into the church, and so we don't handle things well when it doesn't go our way, when we have to wait. And I've seen the fickleness of my own soul in this this past week, right? And, and we, we need to grasp a good perspective as Christians on suffering and trials and waiting because it's, it's what makes so much of a distinction between us and everybody else. And I think of the story of Job. And I don't have time to unpack the whole thing, but remember the story of Job. Job chapter one, he is the most righteous man living on the earth, which says a lot because Abraham was probably alive at the same time. Okay, he's one of the first dudes in the Bible. And so Job is living this life and, and God allows Satan to take everything from him. Boom, he loses his kids, he loses his business, he loses all his finances. He loses everything but his life and his wife. And in chapter two, Satan comes back to heaven and God says, hey, you can take everything but his life. And so he goes down in verse seven in chapter two, Satan goes out from the Lord struck Job with loathsome swords from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And the only thing this guy can do to find relief is get a piece of glass and scrape his skin. That's how bad it is for old boy, right? He is, he is suffering. He's lost everything. And his wife comes to him and she says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. What a joy this woman is. <laughs> I mean, he's thinking back to that wedding. I'm so glad I married her. If you're wondering why Satan didn't take her in chapter one, he, he, he's thinking we need old girl for chapter two, <laughs> right? She's on our team. But she is actually the only honest one asking honest questions. And what, the reality is this, I identify more with Job's wife probably than I do with Job. Because what she is saying is what many of us think. Why are you holding fast to your integrity? Why, why are you still clinging to God? What advantage is there for you to cling to God right now? I mean, when all things are going well, and it's kind of this tit-for-tat thing you're going on, that's fine. But now that God has let this happen, now that God has, has moved away, now that you are suffering, what advantage is there for you, Job, to keep worshiping God? There is none, so you need to cut him loose. That's what she's saying, right? And, and look, she's honest, at least. She's asking good questions, and she's coming to the wrong conclusions, but at least she's honest, because her assumption ultimately is that who's the center of the universe? Job, we're the center of the universe, and God is our servant, and since he is no longer serving us, we can fire him. And that is the perspective that many Christians have on God. And suffering, but look at Job. He, he he answers. I guess I don't have the slide for it. But verse ten, he says, "Should we not take both the good and the bad from God?" It's a great question, and it's one very few of us can actually ask in, in integrity. Right? Because he is willing to wrestle with the tension that God allows good and God allows bad at the same time in his sovereignty. He is not the source of the bad, but he allows it in his, in his sovereignty. And he's willing to wrestle with that and come to the right conclusion where she is not. Because right? we come from a culture, especially in the South, where it's like, okay, I got, oh, I found 20 bucks. Woo, praise the Lord. Found $20 in my pocket. Right? And we're all happy. And praising the Lord because it's like God magically put $20 in my pocket. Or maybe I just put it in there the last time I wore the jeans and I hung them up. And then I found it. But we're all, yeah, yeah, praise the Lord. But then I go get a parking ticket downtown. Or then my water heater goes out. Or then I get in a, a flat tire. And then I'm all mad. You know, I'm excited over here and praising God for 20 bucks. But it's as if God, well, God couldn't be a part of that. I mean, that's, you know, no. Right? We only praise God for the good, but then when it's this, we're all mad and upset. That's where we live. That's where, that's where Job's wife lives. And we want to know all the why. Why the God? Why me? Why did my house lose the garage? I lose my garage and they didn't. Why, why did this happen and not them? And, and we're all why, 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 why? And the reality is we do not get why most of the time. We just don't. But we do get the What? Here, here's what the what is when we face suffering and trial. And this is a hard truth, y'all, so I'm not saying this. And I say it knowing that many of you are in the middle of it, and not just hurricane. Before hurricane, you were going in. But we need to have a perspective on suffering of what God is doing, even if we do not know why. And Peter is a great book for you, First Peter, if you're, if you're wrestling with these things, because this is what he talks about. But he says in chapter 1, he talks about salvation and our inheritance. And he says, in this, in this salvation, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. But the reality is when we're in various trials, it doesn't seem like a little while, does it? It never seems like a little while. Even 80 years doesn't seem like a little while. It is in the big picture of eternity, but in the middle of it, a little while, it does never feel like a little while. But he says, you rejoice in your trial. Why? At the end, so that, so that when the return of Christ, you may, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor. He says, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, it's found a result in praise and glory. The, the reason we rejoice is because a trial is an opportunity to prove your faith is genuine. It's to actually show your faith as real. Showed to who? Showed? To your family, show to God, show to the angels, show to Satan, show to your friends, show to everybody, that you, when you rejoice in a, a waiting period, in a suffering period, in the trial, that you are showing the value of your faith. How valuable is it? More than gold. And here's the irony, right? So we as people, we go and we dig in a mountain, or we go to a mine, or we you know, go dirt, dig in the dirt, and we find a rock. And we say, this rock is valuable, right? This gold is valuable. Why do we say this is valuable? Well, because there's not a lot of it because it's scarce, right? It's rare. So because it's rare, this is valuable. We decide, even though we just dug it out of the ground. And then what we go do is we throw that rock that we have said is valuable and we put it in fire and we melt it down. So all the impurities and so all the bad stuff comes out. And then we make it more valuable. This thing that we got out of the dirt, we refine it, right? And we do it all the time. But what God is saying is, if you're going to do that to a rock that you decided was valuable, that doesn't really have any value, but you decided it was valuable, and you're going to make it more valuable, and you're going to do all these things to it, and you're going to do that for a rock, do you not think I am going to do that to your soul, which is truly valuable? Then I'm not going to refine you, which will last forever. That gold is perishable. It will burn. It is nothing. But your soul will last. And so I'm going to refine you through the fire of trial so that when I return, you are going to get a reward that is better than a rock found in dirt. That is the what. And so if you find yourself in the midst of a trial, and maybe it's hurricane related, and maybe it is not, maybe it is whatever struggle, I don't know, but the reason, I don't know why, and and you know what, you're probably never going to get why, and even if God did tell you why, you probably couldn't comprehend the why. It's like explaining geometry to a two-year-old, here, this is a circumference, and they're not going to get it. God is running the universe. And this piece fits with this and fits this and fits this over here that does all these things. And, he, and, and it's beyond you anyway. So even if he could tell you, you'd be like, whoa, don't get that. So we don't get the why, but we do get the what, that God in the midst of trial of his people is purifying them for a reward that is huge when he returns. That's the why. I mean, that's the what. And that's where we need to come, when we don't see it. And I love Spurgeon here. He says, God is too good to be unkind. And he's too wise to be mistaken. And when you cannot trace his hand, you must trust his heart. And his heart is seen in his son, right? His heart is in his son. And this is what makes us distinct. And this is what a hurricane The theology of a hurricane reminds us that it gives us a great opportunity to wait and struggle well in front of a world that does not, right? It's a big piece. Here's the last thing. Just reminds me of the awe and the power of God. And you could not look at that map and see that massive thing and just not be like, whoa, and see those winds that are out, I was amazed and reminded of how big God is and how small we are through this storm. I'm stuck watching the Weather Channel, and all I care about really is where is the path of that storm going, right? I mean, and, and, you know, and here's, what, here's what their projections look like, right? They're like, okay, I could go here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know, the, the, my favorite part is the little heart. I don't know who did that, but that's how <laughs> saw that on Instagram. That's, but isn't that the reality? They're like, well, now we're saying it's going to hit. And then two hours later, well, no, it's going to hit. No, and at one point, it's going to hit a high tide. We're going to be spared. Let, no, it's going to hit a low tide. And they'd have no clue. They have all the technology. They have planes flying through this thing. And they still don't even know where it is going. And even if they did, the only thing we can do is run. <laughs> Except for you yelling wolverines with your chainsaws. <laughs> That's all we can do is run, and and it it just reminds me of how small and insignificant I am in my power. I mean, you go to the beach, you know the power of the beach. You've been at the beach before, and you know you got your kids, and they're out, you know, body surfing down at Tybee. And after like thirty seconds, they're fifty yards down the thing. You're like, "Come on back!" Why? Because the undertow is so powerful; just pulls them. That's one person versus like one section of the water. How? powerless are we and how mighty is God this is the God where the psalmist says this by the word of the Lord the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap he puts the deep in storehouses that's what God does to the ocean that pulls you 50 yards down the thing in like 30 seconds that you have to run from he just gathers it up on his own and look at the response of the psalmist. Because of the greatness and the vastness of the bigness of God, let all the earth, what? Fear him. May there be awe and reverence. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe at the power of God, who is infinitely more strong than one little hurricane. Right? It should blow your mind, y'all, when you see the bigness. And I go immediately to the gospel accounts of Jesus calming the storm and in Matthew 14 and you can find it in Mark 6 um, where Jesus just feeds 5,000 men which probably means 10,000 people right he feeds them with five loaves and two fish and he sends them away it's not yet dark he tells the disciples before it gets dark get in the boat and go across I'm gonna go pray and I'll meet you well eight hours later he's still praying and they're still rowing Right? They got caught in this huge storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And these are not rookies. These are like expert sailors and they are terrified and they are tired. They have been rowing for eight, 10 hours. Right? How many times in that time are they thinking, I just wish Jesus was here. And then Jesus comes walking on the sea and he's gonna make a pass. Wave at him. <laughs> and he cries out when he walks by and, and you gotta imagine the wind and the waves are huge and it is so w- loud so imagine the power of Jesus' voice and the loudness of it as he cries out and says take heart it is me don't be afraid and, I, and they're scared actually they, they're not comforted they're scared they think it's a ghost ah ghost and Jesus says no it's me and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, come, command me to come out. And he says, come on out, Peter. And we, J- Peter jumps out. And, and again, you, your little picture, you know, you picture Peter just walking on a little pond. It's a, it's a hurricane force winds. The water is up and down. Peter's all... Is that, you know, so, and water is in his face and the wind. And, and I say, don't just picture Peter just kind of like glancing across the water. I'm going to walk. The, don't think that. If that was it, they wouldn't be rowing for eight hours. You're talking massive seas. And Peter's up and down. And he sees Jesus and then he doesn't see Jesus. And he goes, and then all of a sudden he starts looking around and he starts sinking because he doubts. And he cries out and Jesus rescues him. He says, Why'd you doubt? And we hammer Peter. But at least he got out of the boat. The other guys are like that guy crazy, <laughs> but then Jesus gets in the boat, and here, here's what I love about this story. There's so many awesome things about it, but it says this: They got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat. What did they do? They worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." Now I'm asking the question: Was the feeding ten thousand people that wasn't enough to impress? Was the the little girl you raised from the dead a couple chapters earlier that wasn't enough? Was the the lepers, the blind people, the paralytic, the water and the wine, these things didn't convince you? And another account, when Jesus is sleeping in the boat and he wakes up and he says, they say, who is this that that the wind and the sea obey him? Because there is something, y'all, about seeing a person command creation that is impressive. I mean, I see a guy who controls his dog and my dog he does not listen to anybody. And I'm like, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> this is a, a man who says to hurricane gale winds to stop, and it is a pond. And they are stunned and rightfully so at the power of the one who has the, the sovereignty over creation. And notice creation knows its master, by the way. When the creator of the wind says stop, the wind stops. That is the power and the might of the Savior. And, and the purpose of this story and, and why it's in the gospels is not that Jesus calms all your storms, right? Because you're, oh, you just need to trust in Jesus because he calms all your storms. Yeah, then why do people die of cancer? Then, then why does the garage get destroyed? Why is there a tree through this person's house? Why does this guy over here lose his job? It, it's not, the lesson is not that, God, that he makes all your storms go away, this, this prosperity gospel nonsense where I put give my life to Christ and I never have to worry about anything. I'll never have any doubts. I'll never have any worry. I'll never question what's going on. Well, then David is not a good Christian and Jeremiah is not a good Christian and, and John the Baptist wasn't a good Christian and Abraham wasn't a good Christian because all these guys doubted and had questions about what God was doing. Right, it, that is not the way it works. It is not that all your storms go away. Some of them do and some of them rage on. The lesson is that your God, your Savior, your Messiah is not only sovereign over the storm, but he is there. So you don't need to be afraid. That's the lesson. That's why Jesus was gonna pass by and say, do not worry, do not be afraid. That is the point, that he is there in the storm because he has ridden his own out, right? He, is, he has been crushed. The, the greatest tragedy of all humanity is that the innocent son of God was crucified, for you, and now it says he left an example to follow in his steps, right? And so that is, that is the point, point. and I love the end of the psalm I read earlier to you. Here's what it says at the end of the psalm after the, he holds the seas and all these things. It says, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those whose hope is his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in the famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, Because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope. That's the church in the the middle of a a hurricane. What Isaiah says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. That is the church's hope. That's where we go, right? Right? That we have a mighty Savior who is more powerful than the storm. What a theology of a hurricane teaches me creation is broke, but He's gonna fix it until He does. It's great to be part of the body when it functions like the body, right? That it teaches me what really matters is those people that God has put in your lives, and so you need to invest there and steward there what God has given you. It teaches me that our God, our Savior, is greater and more powerful than the storm, and so we as Christians need to have a great perspective on struggle and wrestling through it, right? That's what a the theology of a hurricane teaches me. And so let's, let's just worship. Let's spend some time worshiping. If you want to sit for the first song, that's fine. You want to stand, maybe you're hot. I guess the air went back off. Go figure. Um, but that's okay, our God is still sovereign over the air conditioner going off, right? And so the balcony people, you are the extra spiritual people today. Usually you're the late people today you're the spiritual people, right? Because you're up in the heat. But we just want to have a time for you to worship. Your God is great. And he, it may not feel like it that right now. And I, I understand that. Didn't feel like it for Job, but he says, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in chapter two, when his wife's all encouraging him to die and everything, he says, you're speaking like a foolish woman. And in all these things, he says he did not sin with his lips. We just want to be worshipers. I want to encourage you to worship, and I just want to provide that opportunity. So you guys can stand if you want or sit. Let me pray, and we're just going to sing together as a church. Father, I pray right now that you would um, just comfort the afflicted in the room and just comfort those who are just wrestling with, with doubts and questions Father, there's lots of needs, and I pray that, that they would be made known so that we as the body can help. I thank you for those who have served. I thank you for those who have been faithful, um, who've reached out, who have given so much. I thank you for those who have come from out of town, left families and friends so that they can come serve other people, whether it's just power or water or just cutting trees, Lord, just so many good things going on. And I pray this will be an opportunity for your church to reflect Christ, our Savior. It's in his holy, precious name I pray.